And as we celebrate this very special day, 20 years of ministry of Grace Fellowship Church, it certainly is something that we should be thankful for and something that we should be thankful to be a part of. It is in these 20 years that we've recognized God's goodness, His faithfulness, His provision in meeting our needs, and hopefully His desire for us to accomplish more for His kingdom than has been accomplished thus far. So as we gather together here today, there are many worthy topics that we could focus on, but it seemed most fitting to me to focus on what I consider to be the most important, and that is the glory of God. Books have been written on this subject, and it would be impossible to thoroughly cover the topic of God's glory in a 30-minute message. There are dozens and dozens of verses that speak about, reveal something about the glory of God in some form or fashion. And I'll tell you now, it's impossible for me to cover them all. So if God brings to your mind something about His glory, write it down in your bulletin, go back later and read that and give Him praise for what it is He's reminded you of. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, and that is this. I'm going to read a single verse, which will be a springboard for the entirety of our message together today. So in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is continuing to talk about this topic of spiritual freedom or Christian liberty. It actually began all the way back in chapter 8, and it runs all the way through the end of chapter 10. And most specifically, what Paul is dealing with is he's dealing with eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. Now, that sounds like a bit of an unusual topic for us to focus on today, but that's not going to be our focus. It's not idolatry. It's not foods that have been sacrificed to idols. But what we need to recognize is this, is that spiritual idolatry was an enormous problem for the early church, just as it was throughout all of Israel's history. They consistently got tripped up by allowing other people to come in and influence their worship of a little G-God, and their true understanding of the capital G-God. And so it always became a problem for them. They were disciplined for it, and then they would repent, and God would restore them. And that cycle was repeated over and over throughout Israel's history. Well, as we enter into the New Testament era, idolatry is still an issue in the early church. Within the first century, because there were so many pagan gods that could be worshipped, It was not uncommon for one of these pagan gods, as a part of the ritual worship of that god, to have food sacrificed to him. And so this became a big dilemma for the Christians of the day. Should we eat food that is sacrificed to idols? Or is that damning us in the eyes of God as we understand him? Well, Paul deals with this problem from the beginning of 8 through the end of chapter 10. And he comes to what is the summarizing verse of the entirety of this section of Scripture, and many commentators would say that this is the summarizing verse of the entirety of the Bible, and here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The summarizing verse of the entire Bible, and whatever you do, do it all For the glory of God. In everything, give glory to God. Now, 
A lot of us today, especially men, like to compartmentalize their lives. I've got my work life. I've got my home life. I've got family life and kid life. I've got leisure life. I've got hobby life. I've got all these different compartments in my life. But the underlying principle is simply this. God is Lord over it all, and we are to give to Him glory in absolutely everything that we do. Now, the context of this verse is very interesting to me. There is not a particular spiritual application that is referenced here in giving glory to God. Not when you preach, not when you teach, not when you go to church, not when you sing a solo, not when you're serving God out in the community, not when you're trying to engage in the gospel with a stranger. We would certainly understand the necessity of giving God glory in those kinds of activities. So there's not a spiritual application here, but it is a general life expectation. In everything you do, do it for God's glory. Now, we'll get back to this in particular in just a moment. But first, what I want to do is I want to explore the glory of God. What is, in fact, the glory of God. Well, the word glory means something that is worthy of praise or exaltation. It is the honor and praise due a person because of their position or their power or because of their riches. Now, you and I know that in our culture, man gives praise or honor to the things that God has created and not necessarily to God Himself. In fact, we can drive through the Smoky Mountains, or we can travel out to Colorado and see the great mountain peaks that are out there, or we can go to the beach and look at the sunrises and the sunsets, and we can be moved by the beauty of nature, and we can say, boy, Mother Earth did something really special here. We can be moved with a theatrical or a musical performance in such a way that we have tears come to our eyes, and we just burst out with applause, and we say, that was magnificent. Encore, encore, more of that. It was just absolutely wonderful. Or there can be a scientific or an academic achievement, and we can give all the praise and all the honor to science and scientists. Even amazing athletic performances can elicit man's praise and his honor, but such glory ultimately belongs only to God, because God alone is truly worthy of our praise and of our adoration. So as we look at the glory of God, we'll look at this in two aspects. Number one, we will see His inherent glory. This is the glory that exists within God. God is the only being in all of existence who can be said to possess Inherent glory. Only God possesses inherent glory. You don't possess it. Your beautiful little baby doesn't possess it. And that angel from God, who you might call your grandchild, does not possess inherent glory. Only God can possess inherent glory. In this sense, no one can give glory to God Because God already completely possesses the entirety of glory by virtue 
of who he is. Listen to this very partial list of God's attributes, which give an indication to the glory that belongs to him. God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. God is infinite. He is self-existent. He is sovereign over the entirety of the universe that He has created. He is unchangeable. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is imminent. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is loving. He is gracious. He is good and He is faithful. And all of these things are man's attempt to try to find some way to articulate the worthiness of God for our praise and for our glory. If no one ever gave to God any praise or any honor, He would still be the glorious God that He is because He was fully glorious before He created any other beings To worship Him. Before God created the angelic beings who inhabit the heavenly places now and give to Him eternal praise and glory, God was still worthy of our glory. Before God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for man's sin, He was still worthy of our glory because it is His inherent glory that makes Him worthy of this. God's inherent glory is so powerful and so overwhelming that it is obvious just in His presence. As we looked at in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the train of his robe and smoke filled the temple and he was stricken with a sense of awe. He knew he was in the presence of God and it was overwhelming to him. We read in Exodus chapter 33, verse 22, when Moses was dealing with God in the giving of the Ten Commandments, God said this, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. God's glory is so powerful that Moses could not look on it and live. We read in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 6, 15b and 16, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. No human being has seen God's uncovered essence or full heavenly glory, but the divine glory is revealed to man in veiled form through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We read in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten, from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So the person of Christ and the works of Christ have revealed the glory of God to us and explained in full who this glory of God, who this glorious God really is. So while Jesus was on the earth, there was a very brief glimpse of the veiled glory that was revealed visually 
through the transfiguration. You remember this incredible story? In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is walking along the way with His disciples and He calls James and Peter and John to go off with Him a short distance. And this is what we read. Six days later, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, His brother, and led them high up on a mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them and His face shone like the sun and His garments became as white as light. This glory of God partially revealed through Christ, was so brilliant that the only way it could be described was that it was like looking at the sun. Can you look at the sun? Not for very long. When you see the reflection of the sun on something shiny, it is abrasive to your eyes, and you have to look away. And as painful as that is to our eyes, when you and I are confronted with the holiness of God, it strikes us to the very core of who we are. And like Isaiah, our response ought to be, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell with the people of unclean lips. The inherent glory of God exceeds our ability to fully, un- fully understand. It is unlike anything we know, and words are inadequate to fully describe it. So we looked at the inherent glory of God, and as we begin to understand something about that, it leads us to number two, and that is the ascribed glory. This is where you and I come in. This is where we, as God's created Beings in His likeness. This is where our participation in the glory of God comes in. Ascribed glory is the honor and praise that we give to God because of who we understand Him to be and because of the things He has done. Now, you and I, man in his natural state, is not capable of purposing to glorify God because he does not know God and does not have a godly nature through Christ to have the ability to really glorify who he is. And that is why our world around us glories in nature or we glory in the accomplishments of man. We don't understand who God is. We don't understand his praiseworthiness. But redeemed man is able to glorify God and is specifically Instructed to do so. We see in Psalm 29, verse 1 and 2, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. God's unique glory is made known to us through His perfect attributes and His mighty acts of creation and redemption. The beautiful physical world we see around us, the intricacies of the human body, and how everything works together, the vast interdependency of the universe and how God made life possible here on earth, all of these things reveal to us the praiseworthiness of God. Did you know that the vast majority of the universe that we live in is unexplorable? We have no way of getting out there. We send satellites into orbit millions of light years away and we learn new things about the universe and the obvious response of the redeemed ought to be he's even more glorious than I thought he was. Is our God worthy of honor and is our God worthy of our praise? 
What about the work of redemption? We read in Colossians 1, 19-22, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death, in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Do you see what it says here? When we had no idea of who God was, when we had no understanding of the glorious God that He is, when we were still enemies of God, shaking our fists at Him, He made a way for us to come to know Him, to be reconciled back to Him through the cross of Christ, And here's what we need to understand. God did not have to do that. He was not obligated to make that way for us, but He chose to do so because He loves us and He desires for us to spend eternity with Him in heaven. The psalmist instructs us to praise God for this, the vastness of of the created world that we enjoy, and for the remarkable act of redemption, and so much more. Make no mistake about it, God desires the honor and the praise of man. Here's what it says in Isaiah 42. God says to Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Now, we could read this verse and we could say, well, that sounds like a pretty egotistical position for this glorious God to take, that He will not share His glory with anything, and He desires the glory and, the, and He desires the praise and the, and the glory of man. Well, God is not narcissistically desiring the praise of man the way our worldly culture does. People who want fame and fortune, people who want to have influential power, to be known everywhere they go so that they can feel good about themselves. But God, in the perfection of His being and in the completeness of His love, understands better than you and I that giving Him the honor and the praise that He is worthy of is not to boost His ego, but it centers us in what is most important in all the world, and that is loving, honoring, And living for the one true God. You see, if we don't give to God the praise and the honor that He is due, that He is worthy of, to whom or to what are we going to give it? Because we are going to find something to give it to. We are created with this innate need to worship something. And if we aren't going to worship the glorious God of the universe, the glorious God of our redemption, we are going to worship something. And I would submit to you that the vast majority of our culture today worships themselves. Not God, not even the universe, but they worship themselves. So here's the question. How can we give God the praise and the honor that He is worthy of. You see, that brings us all the way back to the beginning part of our time together this morning. 
1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me give you for you a few spiritual examples. So before we do that, I'll say this. I am quite certain that the founding of this church was centered in a desire to give glory to God. Otherwise, why would a group of people get together and invest enormous amounts of time and energy and resources just to populate the city with another church? You see, there has to be a deeper desire to plant a church, and I am convinced that it was to give glory to God. Our 20 years as a church is an example of the desire of the redeemed man to give to God the praise and the honor that he is deserving of. And so some of the spiritual examples, and this is no way an exhaustive list. The first one is this, letter A. We give to God the glory through our worship. Now, the book of Psalms is literally a book of praise. It is filled with admonitions to praise or to give glory to God. For example, in Psalm 92, I will be glad and exult in you or praise you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High God. Our weekly gathering is centered around the worship of God. The worship of God was a central tenet of the founding of GFC, and it continues to be so today. If, our, if the central purpose of our gathering is to meet some old friends, or to get to know others better, or to have some kind of an outlet socially, we have totally missed the mark of why this church exists. This church exists to give glory to God, and we do that through our worship of Him. It isn't designed for entertainment of the masses. It is to focus on the central themes of the Bible. It is focusing on who He is and what He has done for us. The major themes of the Bible are very simply the glory of God. It is the fall of man. It is the redemption of man through Christ. And it is man's longing for future glorification. These define what our worship is about, and I believe that God is glorified when we come together to give glory to Him through biblical worship. Letter B, we give God glory through our faith. Now, in the New Testament, when Paul was speaking about Abraham, we would read this, Yet with respect to the promise of God, the promise of the heir who would come in the name of Isaac, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. I am confident that the founding of this church was rooted in faith. That this was something that God wanted, and there was an unwavering confidence that somehow, some way, God would make it so. You know, having faith can be very, very challenging at times. And as Paul references the faith of Abraham, we would do well to remember that Abraham waited 25 years for the fulfillment of the promise of the heir and the son who would come to him, the name of Isaac. Abraham waited 25 years, and he continued to remain confident that God would fulfill his promise. Waiting is incredibly difficult, and this church has continued to wait on the provision of God. We have continued to grow in our faith of God. And since God never changes and is always faithful to us, 
we continue to learn how to place our full faith in Him. And as we look back over 20 years of faithfulness, we can say that God has been faithful. And as we look forward to the next 20 years, we can say we believe by faith that God will continue to be glorified through this church. Letter C, we bring glory to God through our fruit. Now, there's a lot of different examples of fruit in the Bible. But what God does through us, as we surrender ourselves to Him, will bring glory to God. For example, in John 15, 8, Jesus said this, My Father is glorified by this. And if you never underlined this verse in your Bible, you ought to. That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Do you see that? God is glorified by the bearing of fruit in our lives. So as we look back at 20 years of ministry in this church, can we see the fruit that has been born through our faith in God? While we look back with gratitude and thanksgiving, we must also look forward to the next 20 years and beyond, asking God that He would bear even more fruit through the lives of the people of this church. We must always remember, though, that the bearing of fruit is not something that we can accomplish on our own. The bearing of fruit is what God produces through us. Jesus said in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who, who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And so spiritual fruit is the result of lives being lived with an intimate relational dependence upon God, relying on Him to produce every good thing that we need in order to bring glory to Him through our church. Letter D. God is glorified through our spreading of the Word. So I believe that one of the most important things that Christians can do is spread the truth of God's Word. Why? Because the Word of God is active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. It contains the truth of the gospel message, which brings to man the power of salvation. We read this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord will be spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. You see, the spreading of the Word brings about the salvation of the lost. It perpetuates truth in a world that is filled with all kinds of falsehood. It brings life into a lifeless being. It sheds the light on what is false and wrong in our world. This church has consistently supported missionaries all over the world, reaching people with the gospel that we will never, ever meet. Brenda Herhai spent over 20 years in Hungary as a missionary that we partially submitted. We have supported missionaries in many, many different parts of the world, and we don't know the people that are being influenced by the spreading of God's Word, but I can assure you of this. God is glorified when His Word is spread, and we give God glory when we support the work of those who are doing just that all around the world. There are many, many other examples that would fit in the category of how we can spiritually glorify God. And I'm going to close with this. Letter E. Lastly, we glorify God through 
our daily lives. Now, some would say, well, that isn't a spiritual example. But I would submit to you that it is. You see, the totality of our lives is to be lived in recognition of the salvation that we have been gifted with by the Lord. Not just Sunday morning on church. Not just when we're asked to teach a Bible study. Not just when we're serving Him in some capacity. But everything we do, the completeness of our life, is to bring glory to God. You see, that's the point of the summarizing verse in 1 Corinthians 10.31. The summarizing verse of the entirety of the Bible. That whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, think about this. In the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17... He said something in there that is a particular interest to me and something that I find to be quite amazing. Here's what Jesus prayed in John 17:22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Think about that. The glory of God that exists in the one and only Son, Jesus has given To the redeemed. So that we would be united in oneness just as oneness exists within the Trinity. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God has given Himself to us. And so in this sense, we possess something of the glory of God in His presence that abides within us. The spiritual life and power that is given to protect protect the unity of the church as there is unity within the Trinity has been given to us. But more than just the protection of unity, the spiritual life and power within us is to be used for His purposes in this world through our lives so that in all we do we can give glory to God. This is why I believe that Jesus said in Matthew 5.16... Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What is the light that is within us? It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is our being sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is the truth of the gospel message. It is evidence of a life that has been changed. It is the truth of God's Word Changing and transforming us, being lived out in our lives through not only what we say, but in what we do, so that God can be glorified through what we do in this world. The light of our lives, through our relationship with God, has the capacity to bring glory to God. Isn't that exactly what the founding of this church was all about? That the lives of these people would have a greater capacity to give glory to God? Has the purpose of God for this church or for our lives changed? You might be a little bit older, but the purpose hasn't changed. The demographics may have changed, but the purpose hasn't changed. We are here to bring glory to God because that is at the heart of the salvation that He has gifted us with through the cross of Christ. I believe that the purpose of our lives is summed up so well 
In Paul's personal proclamation in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. The God who did that dwells within us so that we have the capacity to give glory to His name in this sin-sick, sin-cursed world. And that is why this church exists. By living our lives this way, we will be certain to glorify God in all that we do. In our homes, in our jobs, in our communities, in our schools, on the roadways, in the long lines at Walmart, in the doctor's office when we hear things we don't want to hear, when we encounter people that we don't want to encounter, in everything we do, in every avenue of life, we are to give glory to God. We do that through the continual transforming power of the gospel that dwells within the redeemed. Let me ask you this question. How well are we doing in giving glory to God in everything that we do? Would you pray with me, please? Fathers, we contemplate the great God that you are, your inherent glory summarized in man's attempts to explain what is really unexplainable. A God who is just, majestic, and filled with splendor and glorious in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. God, for that we give to you the praise and the honor that you are worthy of, that you deserve, that we desire to give to you as we consider the great God that you are, as we recognize our unworthiness of what you've done for us through Christ, I pray that there would be no shortage of ways that we can find in our lives to praise you, to give honor to you because of the God that you are. God, I pray that the purpose for which this church was established will never ever change. As we think about who you are, as we're reminded of what you've done, I pray that our desire to see you do even more is just strengthened. I pray, Father, that as we consider where we would be apart from your saving grace, that there would be no sacrifice that we would be unwilling to make to honor you, to praise you, to bring glory to the name that is above every name. Father, we pray that you would take what little we have to offer and bless it and multiply it and use it to do something that can only be explained by you. That the influence of your saving grace would pour forth from our lives in such a way that people would know that we belong to you. May we truly glorify you in everything that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you worship Him with me?